0: When I uh, was a teenager, I got my first job at Old Navy. Uh, Old Navy was just opening up all their stores. So I worked in one of, I think it was one of the first 20 stores in California, in Fresno. And uh, people were very confused by what Old Navy was when it started. We had a lot of older gentlemen... Uh, coming in looking for army surplus stuff. And we had to explain to them no, this is just, we're just a clothing store. I had a lot of really interesting experiences while working at Old Navy as a teenager. There was one Sunday where, or not one Sunday, but one work day where um, there was this really bad smell coming from the children's section. And we couldn't figure out what the smell was or where it was coming from. And so, We got a couple of people back there, I was one of them, uh, looking around, trying to figure out where this smell is. And um, at some point during the day, someone had gotten sick and thrown up in a hat, and then put the hat back in, like underneath other hats in this displacing that we had. So I had a lot of experiences like that, uh, that were a lot of fun. Um, But... By far, my most memorable experience at Old Navy uh, happened one day when I was, we had these giant ladders that you would roll around, and, um, and back in the kids' part, we had these mannequins that sat up on the shelf. Have I told you this story before? No? Okay, good, I, I didn't think I had. So we had these mannequins, uh, these kids' mannequins, that sat up on the shelf probably eight, nine feet in the air. And the way the mannequins were built at the time was they didn't have heads. So if you wanted to put like a hat or something on the mannequin, there was a metal bracket at the back of the mannequin that you would put this post in that basically had a scalp, a head piece, and then you could put a hat on that. But there was no face or anything like that. I I don't know why they made that choice, but they did. Um, So I was moving one of these big ladders around the corner, and I caught the foot of one of these headless mannequins. And it fell off the shelf, and that metal bracket hit me right here, beside my eye. And it immediately uh, swole up, like this giant goose egg, and then started to turn colors, and like, you know, so they they got me some ice, they sent me home. And that day, my dad came home from work, and he saw me, and he's like, what happened? Like, What happened to your eye? What happened to your face? And I said, Dad, you are not going to believe what happened. (laughs) I said, I was at the front of the store, and I was folding stuff, you know, reworking this this area. And um, I heard someone yell from the back of the store, stop them, they're taking stuff. And I turned around towards the middle aisle, and there was this guy running down the middle of the aisle with a handful of clothes. And I didn't really think about it. I just kind of dove at him. Uh, But I missed him and kind of came down behind him, and his foot, as he was running, kicked up and hit me in the eye. But I tripped him, and he fell. And uh, we were able to get the clothes. We didn't get him, he just ran out of the store, but, but we were able to get the clothes and, and like, everything was okay. And he was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, that really happened? I said, no, dad, a mannequin fell from the sky and attacked me. I love stories. I love stories. There are a lot of different ways that we could choose, I could choose to tell you something, but a story is almost always the most effective way to do so. Uh, Jesus knew this too. Jesus told lots of stories to help him explain things that were at times hard to understand or hard to get Uh, people's minds around. So he would tell the story of uh, seeds, or he would tell a story about a son who went away from home, or he would tell a story about a vineyard, or all these different things. He used these things to explain truths about the kingdom of God. Stories are important to us. I mean, think about the song that we just sang, My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. We're telling a story every time we sing that song. We're not just putting music to words. We are expressing what God has done in our lives, and we are telling a story of amazing grace that overwhelms us. Story is an important part of who we are. The book of Acts tells a very, very important story. It tells a story that informs who we are as a church today. It informs who we believe we should be and how we should do some of the things we do. It is a foundational story that helps us define our identity. So what is the story that is being told in the book of Acts? The first thing you know, that you need to know, is that the book of Acts is a really, really large story that is being told on top of another really, really large story. The same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke wrote the Gospel of Acts, or the book of Acts. Now, the Gospel of Luke tells the story of Jesus, his birth, his ministry, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. And Luke does so in a really long form, longer than most of the other Gospels. And he does that because he's telling a big story. Now, when it comes to when things were written, I want you to understand that it's a very inexact science in terms of being able to say when a particular book was written. We know the general order of how they came out. So the book of Luke was written sometime between the early 60s A.D., right after the the events of Acts 28, and as late as 90 A.D. That's a big range, those 30 years. Most people would say right around 60 A.D. is probably the safest bet. So... Keep in mind that the Gospel of Luke then was written after all the stuff in Acts had happened. And it was written because there were a lot of questions about who Jesus was and what he did and even more theories about how to answer those questions about who Jesus was and what he did. So the author of the book of Luke wanted to clear up any confusion for his readers to make sure that they understood what really went down when it came to Jesus because at that point in time hearing Jesus hearing about Jesus was kind of like hearing a story that you couldn't be sure whether to believe or not it was so spectacular it was so big and and so many things happened it seemed like maybe a little bit of a tall tale The author wanted to clear up any confusion for his readers to make sure that they understood, again, what went down. And, you know, we saw in our Who Do You Say I Am series, it kind of prepped us for for how people would have a lot of different questions and ideas about who Jesus was. So in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, this is what the writer says. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Theophilus has been taught about Jesus, but Luke wanted to give him an orderly account based on eyewitness and firsthand testimony. And why does he feel like he needs to do this? He needs to do this because it was essential that his readers understand that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God who died to save mankind from their sin, that he rose again, and that he is the only way to God. So what do we need to know about the story that's being told in the book of Acts? Let's talk about the timing of the book of Acts. Uh, Scholars cannot agree on when the book of Acts was written, except to say uh, that it was written after the book of Luke. So Luke and Acts were written uh, back to back. Uh, There are those who want to date it as early as 62, again, depending on when they date the book of Luke, primarily because the book of Acts tells about Paul being arrested, but it doesn't talk about Paul's death. Uh, So some speculate that the writer didn't have that information yet when he wrote Luke and Acts. Others date the book as late as 150 AD, but the best guess is to put it, again, on the same timeline as Luke, probably in the early to mid-60s. What does that mean? Are you ready for this? This is like, this is going to blow your minds. That means that the book of Acts was written after all the things it tells about happened. You want to write that down? If you want to make a note, I didn't put it on the screen. I guess I should have. I know I'm dropping some real wisdom for you, but why would I feel like it's necessary to say that? I feel like it's necessary for this reason. Sometimes I think when we look at the New Testament books, understanding the order of when they were written is important in helping us understand the story that they're trying to tell. For example, the letters that we see in the New Testament, so, uh, Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, all of those letters that went uh, you know, from Paul to different churches or to Timothy or from Peter, uh, the letters were written first before any of the Gospels. And before anything else, those letters were what existed. They were correspondence that went out to the different churches as they were being formed and figuring out what it meant to live a life and form a community modeled on the teachings of Jesus. Uh, so the early churches that we are going to read about in the book of Acts and to whom the letters were written, they didn't have a written story of Jesus to look at or to base their lives on. So what happened? Well, the apostles would go out into the world, and they would teach people about Jesus. They would tell the story of Jesus' life, of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection. And people, there's something I want you to, you know, grasp here, because this, this is a weird thought. The apostles were not going out teaching church, they were going out teaching the gospel. And the gospel was enough to create churches. I think sometimes we have it a little backwards when it comes to that, but there's plenty of time for us to talk about that. So they had the teaching of the apostles, and the apostles would come through town, and then they would leave and go somewhere else. And one of the reasons why the different churches, like if you read uh, the letter to Corinth, 1 Corinthians, right? Uh, There are all kinds of issues that are going on within that church after Paul left them. And we might sit back and say, well, how did they have so many issues? Well, it's simple. Paul came, he taught them, they understood. They could go to him for questions and answers, but then he left. And then they had to live out their faith in real life in the world that they were living in. And the apostle would have moved on to another town. And we'll see this throughout the book of Acts. So the letters that you see are the letters that were written back to the places they had been after they had left telling them, I have heard these things about you and Lordy, I hope they're not true. But it gives you even more insight into why Luke wanted to be able to write an orderly account that could be trusted. The Gospels came after the letters. Uh, Mark was the first Gospel written, while John was the last Gospel written. The writers of both Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source when they wrote their Gospels. Luke is the only one who states his purpose in the way that he does, but it's clear that all four writers wanted to get across a specific message about who Jesus is. Okay, so... It was written to be a trustworthy account. So let me ask you this question. It's not a trick question. Is the book of Acts a history? Aaron Fogerson, is the book of Acts a history? Partially, Partially, that's a good answer. Yes and no. It is a true account, but it is not written to be a history. It is written to tell a story. It's written to tell a story through one particular lens from one person to a specific audience. What do I mean by that? The writer wants to describe in the book of Acts how the community based on Jesus came into being. Therefore, its intent is not to give you a written history full of specific dates and places. It's... it's, Um, as much as it is to describe how God was moving in the world at the time and how the gospel of Jesus went out to change the world. One uh, writer says, The truth of Acts is not to be measured in terms of accuracy and reporting some historical incident, but in its correspondence to the apostolic faith in Jesus Christ, which forms the church. It's a fancy way to say it's telling a story. The point is that there is a very true story that the writer wanted to tell. More on this in a moment. Now, who are the main characters in the book of Acts? There is one primary main character, and that character is God. God is the author of this story. He is the one who is guiding its narrative and setting the pieces in motion so that his plan of salvation can go to the ends of the earth. He is moving. He is making things happen. He is the primary character. The next most important character is the ghost of Jesus. Now, I don't really mean the ghost of Jesus. Jesus is alive. He was resurrected. But even though he is ascended into heaven, who Jesus was and what Jesus did hangs over everything that happens in the book of Acts. If if. If God is writing a song, Jesus is the words to the song. But the music comes from one of the more overlooked characters, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the engine that makes the book of Acts run. It is the power of God manifest in the lives of those who believe in and follow Jesus, And without the Holy Spirit, the story would be a much different one. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Sounds like a thing. We just invented something, right? The next most important set of characters are the apostles. They are the main agents of the story. They are the ones whose job it is to go out into the world and make disciples. That's why it's a little bit of a misnomer when you call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles which some say, because it's really not the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of God moving into the world. But the apostles are the ones who knew and experienced Jesus firsthand. They heard his teachings, they saw the miracles, they experienced him as the risen Lord, and as those who knew and believed in Jesus, it was their responsibility to take Jesus to a world that was lost without him. And let's put it in terms uh, that Paul puts it in From, from the letters to the Corinthians, from 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, he says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. And he says something similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, where he says, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, there's something, if you would put those verses back up, Jed, for just a second. There's something that I want you to see in these statements, Okay? And what I want you to see in these statements is this idea that the apostles, as those who knew Jesus, as those who experienced Jesus, Paul basically says, we don't have a choice but to go. Now, that word compel doesn't mean that God is making them go, understand that, rather it's the truth of the gospel. It's the story they have to tell that makes them go to where they cannot deny it. It is something that has to happen. They had no choice but to go and tell the world about Jesus because of their belief in him. So we've got, we've got God, we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the apostles. The next main set of characters are the Jews. They are very important to the book of Acts, and there are two kinds of Jews in the book of Acts, just like, actually, there are two kinds of Jews in the Gospels. There are those who believe in Jesus, and we cannot forget that all of the apostles and all of the first believers were Jewish. There was no other kind. Then there are those who do not believe in Jesus. And some of these people that the apostles are encountering are the same ones who actually participated in the crucifixion of Jesus. So they are—they very much stand against the new Christian movement, and they see the new Christian movement as a perversion of who God is. And so they act out against the gospel, against the apostles, as a way to preserve their faith and their understanding of God. And they believed that the followers of Christ were taking people away from God and that they had to be stopped. Okay, last character. Ready? It is the world. This is the fun thing about the book of Acts, you see. Because as most of the story has happened Amongst this one set of people in this one small area, God has a bigger vision in mind for what he wants to accomplish. And he wants the gospel to go to the world. And he wants people who before were not allowed to have relationship with God to come to know God for the first time. So the world consists of two basic ideas. There are those who do not yet know or have heard about Jesus. Uh, therefore, in that case, the world is the fertile ground where the seeds of the kingdom can grow. But the world also stands in opposition to the message of the gospel. It includes the Roman Empire, which is in control of the entire area and loaded with its own God. God's. Why do, is this important? What does this tell us? The gospel, the truth of Jesus, is going to go out into the world in a powerful way, powered by God, powered by the Holy Spirit. The story that they have to tell is going to change people's lives, but the gospel is going to face really serious opposition. There are those who don't want it to go and who are going to actively try to stop it. So the book of Acts opens in much the way that the book of Luke ends. From Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, so Luke starts off the book of Acts by recapping uh, the end of the book of Luke, and then taking the next step. So again, he's writing to Theophilus, and he started where he left off. He wants Theophilus to understand how the church was not something started by humans, but was built on the foundation of Jesus himself empowered by God. This is a, that's an important point, actually. He wants people to understand that it's not like a group of people got together and decided to create a Christian movement. God is doing that. So how does he tell the story in such a way that it makes this point painfully clear? The apostles, the ones that we know are going to take the truth out into the world, are told to do what? Wait. What are you waiting for? For what God has promised. What is it? It's the Holy Spirit. Okay, Will we know when it happens? What is it going to look like? How much information do they actually have about what's about to happen to them? None. But they are told to wait. In fact, I love this line. They're, they're like staring into the sky, watching Jesus disappear into the clouds. And it's like an angel walks up beside them and is like, He's gone. So you can quit looking in the sky now, and let's get on to business. What kind of business? The business of waiting. So that's what they do. In verse 12, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas, son of James. They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, it may not seem like it, but this is the very important foundational premise that the book of Acts is built upon. It is God who is going to make things happen, you see. He is telling the story he is going to power his, empower his believers. They don't know what that looks like, but they are going to wait and not do anything but pray until God shows up and tells them what to do. This is how the community that God started started. A group of people who knew Jesus the best Waiting for God to arrive. And this is the first and very important lesson we have to learn from the book of Acts. It is something that we have said many times, but it remains as true as it has ever been. As a church, we are not about ourselves and who we are and what we can accomplish. We are about God and who he is. And as such, we need his power, his spirit, and his guidance in our lives. And if we go without God, we do not wait for him or we do not wait for him to empower us, then we will not accomplish what it is that he wants for us to accomplish, and we will not become the kind of community he wants us to be. There will be action, you see. But God is going to make it happen. And as those who know Him, they must sit and wait and pray and anticipate what the empowering that God is going to give them may look like. And do you know what's amazing? It could be anything. It could be anything that God is going to do through them. We are blessed to be a part of this story. That it is not us, it is not who we are that makes us significant. It is who God is and what God empowers us to do. And we, as a church, we want to wait for him. We want to spend the hard work that it takes for him to show up and guide us. And we want to move. We want stuff to happen. But we don't want it to be our stuff. We want it to be his. And the beautiful thing that we will see is that when you wait for God to empower you and you spend the time with him, listening, watching, waiting, he's gonna show up in a pretty remarkable way. More on that story next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the story we are a part of. The story of your church the story of your people living out the values of Jesus in this world. God, help us to see our reality in this story. We want to be a part of it. We want this story to represent us. So as we journey through it, Father, will you help us to see ourselves reflected in the story, the ways that we follow just as your apostles have followed, and will you also help us to see the ways that we need to alter and change ourselves so that we can be as ready to do what you want us to do as possible. In Jesus' name, amen.